Hey everybody, it's Matt here. And before we get to the episode today, I just want to invite you to slay this giant of sexual sin with us. I want to invite you to consider doing an event with us. We have so many different kinds of events that we could do. There's events for men, there's events for men and women, events for parents, for youth, for young adults. There's Sunday morning preaching. Um, some of the events that we do are for our one-time things and some are weekend-long conferences. And so if this is on your heart and you'd like to address sexuality and porn in your church or in your circle, in your ministry or whatever that might look like, uh, I would invite you to go to restoredministries.ca slash events. You can see what's possible there with some things that we've done in the past. And we're also very flexible with working with different event organizers and, and churches in what it can look like for their particular setting. And so if you have it on your heart to carry the message forward of, of freedom and wholeness and health over sexual brokenness, I would love to chat about what that might look like. Go to restoredministries.ca slash events. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see my email and feel free to email me. We can hop on a Zoom call together and look at what doing an event together might look like for you. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Brad Hafner. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Pure Victory Podcast. And this is Brad, and of course, Matt is across from me once again. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, and we are excited to be here with you again today. Uh, you know, it's it's been amazing. We've had some amazing guests on in the past few here. And so we're uh, we're excited today as well because we're having a great guest on that we've been working hard to, to work with uh, to get on. And so Dr. Christopher Wan is on with us today. Uh, welcome, Christopher. Oh, thank you so so much for having me on. <laughs> and those that don't know him, um, I would highly recommend you looking him up and checking out his books. But he is uh, someone who's really at the forefront um, in regards to same-sex attraction. And I'm um, just sharing a little bit of his story in that regard. But he's written a great book called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. But there's something coming out even this, this, this month here in July that we're really excited about. I know he's excited about. It's called The Holy Sexuality Project. And it's 12 lessons for parents to have discussions with their teens, their kids about sex uh, in a biblical um, loving way. And so I think that's going to be such an important resource, especially in our day and age when there's so much confusion and doubt and uh, just a lot of uh, difficulty in this area. So we're excited, Dr. Christopher, for what you're doing in that regard. Oh, praise the Lord. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah, thank you. Well, let's just get into this because we would love to hear a little bit more about you and your story. But um, for those that don't know you, maybe start with why this matters to you in this, these areas and, and, and just sharing a little bit out of your story and your journey. Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, I, I would say maybe 10 years ago, um, there was a tendency where there, as church leaders, we need to convince our congregations and lady and Christians, uh, we need to address sexuality and gender a biblically gospel-centered way without being full of grace at the expense of truth or uh, truth at the expense of grace. We need to be full of grace and full of truth. But today, I don't think there's few that we need to convince that this is the issue, sexuality and gender, um, and we are almost in damage control. Uh, so I, I feel like you know God has put me here at such a time as this to be able to talk about this, not just theoretically or theologically or philosophically, but that's just, this is something that is very real for me. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I'm from Chicago. I, I was born there. My parents were uh, from China. They came to the United States for graduate school. 
I wrestled with my sexuality from, from a young age. Unfortunately, I was exposed to pornography at nine years old. Um, and even though I don't see that as a cause, I definitely see that as a catalyst. Um, pornography awakens things uh, that should never be, have been awoken. And unfortunately, um, I kept those hidden. I'm from, I was born in 1970. So back in the 70s, no one talked about sexuality. So I kept those hidden. I came out of the closet, as I would have said back then, in my early 20s. I'm, like I said, originally from Chicago. I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry. And then I went home, broke the news to my parents. And what's so amazing is my parents, none of us, we were Christian. But through that crisis, God, by his grace, brought them to faith. And uh, my mother first, and then my father I went in the total opposite direction. I was living in Louisville. I was going to dental school. I was doing what all my other non-Christian friends were doing. I didn't have any Christian friends. Uh, we were having fun, partying. I went to the clubs, the gay clubs. And unfortunately, I began experimenting with drugs. And And I, I want to just pause quick, just real short, that I'm not saying all gay men do drugs. I'm just saying that's this is definitely a part of my story, but right. what's so incredible about my story is it's just not on sexuality. It's about Jesus. It's about a sinner who needed Jesus and Jesus who transformed him. So it's not just on sexuality. It's just about human brokenness and the need for a redeemer for sinners. And, and I'm, I'm one of the greatest. Um, so I unfortunately began doing drugs and I started selling drugs. I was expelled from dental school just three months before I was supposed to graduate and receive my doctorate. I moved from Louisville, Kentucky to Atlanta, Georgia. And there I kept doing what I knew how to do best, which is have fun. You know, you do you. And I became not just a drug dealer, but a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. Well, at this time, my parents were really growing in their faith, and they were just so on fire for the Lord, and they were very burdened for me that they knew my biggest need was not, uh, my sexuality was not my biggest problem. My biggest problem was my need to follow Jesus Christ. See, that's, I, I realize this now that my biggest sin was not being in same-sex relationships, my biggest sin was unbelief. And so my parents prayed for a miracle, and they came to visit me one time in Atlanta. I kicked them out. And this is the, the narrative that we often hear today, that Christian parents cannot, are unable to love their gay child. They have to throw the Bible away. They have to become a so-called progressive Christian to love their gay child. I had the exact opposite experience. My parents weren't Christian. They rejected me. It wasn't until they became followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. they, could, they knew that they, that they could do nothing other than to love me as God loved them while they were still weak, while they were still sinners, while they were enemies. So um, they came to visit me. I kicked them out. Uh, my dad gave me his Bible. I told him, I don't want your Bible. He left it anyway. As soon as they left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash. That's how much I despise God and his word. Oh. And it was just obvious that I was just hopeless, but my parents committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors from their church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer. God, 
do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years, once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She spent hours every morning in her prayer closet, on her knees, reading the Bible, interceding for me for many hours, others. She knew there was going to take nothing short of a miracle. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door, opened up my door, on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana which is legal in Canada, right? (laughs) With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I had started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised. So I tried calling home. I mean, I did not want to make that phone call. I just imagined the earful I was going to get on the other line. Mm. But mom's first words were, are you okay? Mm-hmm. No condemnation, just words of unconditional love and grace. I, I, I'm always reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not God's anger, but God's kindness. And on that miserable day, God was pouring out his grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mother. A few days after that, I was walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can, and I thought, this is my life. I was about to pass it by, but something on top of the trash caught my eye, bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. Took it back to my cell, began reading it, and for the first time, I read through the entire Gospel of Mark, but I was not thinking, this is the answer. I just thought, I've got tons of time on my hands, and I better pass it somehow. But as you know, what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper, but what we have is the very breath of God. And I was, uh, and, and it began to convict me. And I was, I realized I was a sinner and I thought things could get worse. I was wrong. I was called to the nurse's office. She sat me down, scribbled something on a piece of paper, slid it across the desk, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. The days after were dark and lonely. I was sentenced to six years, better than 10 years to life that I was facing. But news of my HIV status felt like a death sentence. Mm. I was laying in my bed. One night I was looking at the cold metal bunk above me. Somebody scribbled something and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. At the most hopeless point in my life, God was using the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that if God could have a plan for Israel, Judah, in rebellion, in exile, he could even have a plan for me. I didn't know where that plan was going to take me. God gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day, the next, and the next. My transformation was gradual. I wish I could tell you that at that moment, I got down on my knees, said a sinner's prayer, and like everything else, everything after that was just perfect. Like no more problems, no more issues. 
far from the truth. It was then that God began convicting me of my idols, which were many. The most obvious was drugs. Within a few months, he delivered me from that addiction. God kept bringing in mind other idols. And there was just this one thing that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, my sexuality. I went to a chaplain, asked him his opinion. And to my surprise, he told me the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. He even gave me a book explaining that view. So with much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding biblical justification for same-sex relationships. I had that book in one hand, the Bible in the other, and from a human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God. I couldn't finish that book, gave it back to the chaplain, which meant I turned to the Bible alone. And I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for justification. I couldn't find any. So I was at this turning point and a decision had to be made, either abandon God in his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, and this is important, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived, or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship by freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, I followed Jesus. Hmm. As the days, the weeks, and months of abstinence passed, I realized my sexuality should not be the core of who I am told myself before God loves me unconditionally. True. But as sinners, don't we often want to just add to God's truth? I added, so therefore he doesn't want me to change. Similar to your friends who might say, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. But after reading the Bible, I learned that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity should not be defined by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires. My identity is not gay. It is not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter. Because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. God says, be holy for I am holy. I used to think to become a Christian, I had to become a heterosexual. What does that mean? I need to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex. As a matter of fact, I thought, I was under the impression, the more sexually attracted I were to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. But I realized that even if a man had opposite sex attractions, he still would need to flee temptation and resist sin. So heterosexuality, it's the right direction, just not the right goal. Because if you think, mm. think about this, God never commands us, be heterosexual for I am heterosexual. But neither did God ever say, be homosexual for I am homosexual. They're both actually the wrong secular Freudian categories. Instead, mm. God says, be holy for I am holy. Thus, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That is not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As mm. a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. 
I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling or whether I'm tempted, but I need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity because change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit wrought ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling or tempted, because we're all going to be tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. But the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. I began living this life of surrender and obedience, and God began to reveal his plan for my life. He called me to full-time vocational ministry while I was in prison, and I realized that it didn't matter where I was, that my calling would remain the same regardless of the location. And God shortened my sentence from six years to three years. I I, I was, and I realized I needed to learn more about the Bible, called home, collect my parents, told them God called me to ministry, and I asked them to mail me an application to Moody Bible Institute. But there was silence on the line because I think they both dropped their phones. Yeah, <laughs> They mailed exactly. the application into me in prison, filled it out, and I realized I needed references, and I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, prison guard, and another prison inmate. Amazingly, I was accepted. I was released from prison July of 2001, started the very next month. So think about the, uh, the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? Yeah. <laughs> Graduated Moody, went on to my master's in Jesus, and then I uh, finally got my doctorate in 2014 and then wrote my book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. There's a study guide in the back. Actually, several Christian schools are using it um, in their schools as a textbook. And then my book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, uh, named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine. And that book is has been now adapted into this new video series called The Holy Sexuality Project. Super excited about it. It's 12 lessons, 36 videos, 270 minutes of video content that uh, is, is a one-of-a-kind resource specifically for parents and their teens. Some of the resources out there are like for programs and churches and schools. I think those can be beneficial, but sometimes parents are given the impression that the youth pastor is going to do the parent's job. Right. But the Christian school is supposed to parent the kid. Parents can never be replaced, especially on biblical sexuality. And if we're going to have any headway, if we're going to stem the tide of the tsunami of lies that our kids are drowning in, I think... The core component is home discipleship. December six, yeah. uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, uh, parents, teach them. Teach the ways of the Lord diligently to our children. Are we doing that? And so this is one of the first resources of its kind to actually help parents put them back in the seat, so that in the driver's seat, to do the job that God has ordained them to do. To not just be nicer. Some of the messages out there is just be nicer. You know, you're, you you guys are just such meanies, which I think is would have been an appropriate message ten years ago to those of us from the older generation. That is not the right message to give to our kids today. Actually, our kids. They, they are, all they know is you do you. All they know is just to be nice and, and, and they're not getting any truth. So what they need is a really solid biblical foundation that not points them to me or points them to humans, but points them to Christ. Yeah, I love it. Well, you say the Holy Sexuality Project is a one-of-a-kind thing, and it is. I always get parents asking, hey, what is there for teens? And there's just not much. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. for us to be able to partner with you and get this out. Amen. Um, praise the Lord, your story is not one-of-a-kind. It, it's incredible, <laughs> your story. But Amen. 
you are a beacon of light to others as others have been probably to you and and god can do with others what he's done with you it's it's amazing the amount of people that that have those same sex desires whether they act on them or not it's a really really hard thing for them to reconcile in yeah. light of their view of what biblical sexuality is and so i love your perspective that it's 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 going for holiness not necessarily heterosexuality and it's it's um it, it doesn't define you it's christ that okay. defines you what what are some of the things that you have to come to learn um other than what you've said but just about like what holy sexuality is that maybe you didn't know and, and maybe even played a part in, in keeping you bound yeah i would say um you know if if there is one thing that i think christians we don't fully comprehend the the depth of the error when it comes to Christians understanding uh, where we are today when it comes to the world. And when I'm saying this, I'm not saying we need to agree with it. We just need to understand the error to correct it. And I think the one thing that we miss is we don't fully comprehend how much sexuality has been conflated with identity. Mm -hmm. Sexuality no more is what I feel, what I do, the relationships that I have, my behavior. The world does not at all view it in that way. It has completely become who a person is. If you know someone who identifies as gay, and I'm sure we all do, um, you were to ask them, you know, what does that mean when you say I am gay? And you, of course you can explain. I know what it means. I just want to hear you articulate it. They will not say, these are my attractions. Mm. Right. They will not say, this is what I feel, what I desire, what I do. They will say, this is who I am. And I can understand, in a sense, why the world believes that way, because they're blinded. Uh, They have blinders on. Uh, The Holy Spirit has not given them the mind of Christ yet, and and there's a darkened understanding, as Paul talks about. So I understand that. What grieves me so much um, are that Christians are now... Uh, championing the, uh, you know, this identity as gay, lesbian, trans, plus all these, you know, asterisks, all these things, um, that's really keeping people in bondage. And, and people can even say, no, I, you know, I think gay marriage, you know, acting on it is, is wrong, sin. And there I would agree, but is sin only limited to our acts? Right. So important. I, I think that's one of the biggest false teachings out there now. Just don't act on it. You have these struggles, don't act on it. That's a half truth. Mm. And a half truth can actually be just as harmful as a lie. Mm. Just don't act. Yes. I mean, that's part of it. But is that all? I used to think that until I read the Bible until I read Jesus' words in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if a man looks lustfully at a woman, he's fine as long as he doesn't act on it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we know that's not at all what Jesus says. You know, people like to think of Jesus as this guy that's all, you know, he's just so open about love and, and so, I don't know, progressive with his right. you know, understanding of grace and lavish. He raised the bar to holiness. Yep. He, he was like, you know, 
you think adultery is wrong, you've lust at a woman, you've already committed adultery. There was not that concept in the Old Testament, you know, especially among the first century, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and the rabbis and stuff. They had not, not, none of that concept. And Jesus just threw that all out of the water and just said, no, this is holiness. You know, yes, adultery is wrong. Yes, don't act on it. That's, that's a good thing. But if you are desiring this, because actually the word in, in Greek, desire um, and lust, it's the same Greek word, epithumia. Uh, it's the same Greek word. And actually in, um, in the Hebrew, uh, the word for desire in Hebrew is the same word as covet, hamad. Uh, so we have this misunderstanding that somehow desire turns into lust. Uh, you can desire something, just don't let it turn into lust. Well, according to the Bible, wrongly ordered desire is already lust. It is already mm-hmm. sin. Uh, so it's, that's really important. And, and I talk about this uh, in the video series um, and in my book. That, think about the video series as kind of more for teens. The book really digs deeper. It's, 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 it is for, more for adults. The video series, I shortened it a bit, uh, made it a bit more concise. I added a few things in there. I added some uh, lesson on gender. I add a lesson in on um, what's the big deal. Like, isn't that a big question that teens are always asking? What's the big yeah. deal? You know, get out of my bedroom. Why is God so concerned about sex? So that I had a, have a whole lesson on that. I also added a whole lesson on refuting some of the myths where people are trying to reinterpret God's word. Um, but I, I, I do, you know, talk about uh, these, these things, but I begin uh, in my book and in the Holy Sexuality Project, this video series with identity, because if we don't get this right, and I, honestly, I think that's a good litmus test for the, the resources today that, that are so-called Christian, um, that if they get the identity wrong, it, Charles Spurgeon said something. It's, it's my favorite quote besides the Bible. <laughs> Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Hmm. A two-year-old can know the difference between right and wrong. I don't know if you, know, you guys have kids. Right. You know, yeah. your, your child should be able to know what is right and wrong. That is not discernment. That's not discernment. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Because that that trajectory of almost right is not going to land on the end that is Christ. I think that's so important that we have to be straight on, not a little deviation, because even like a 1% deviation over time will lead you way off the target. So it's very, very important today um, as unfortunately, I feel like, you know, history just continues to repeat itself as mm-hmm. the evangelical church wants to continue history and, and do what, you know, in the U.S., the mainline denominations did. I don't know what, what you guys call it in Canada, but, you know, we have our mainline denominations that have strayed from, this is five decades ago, they strayed away from the inerrancy of scripture, uh, mm-hmm. and the authority of scripture, and yep. you see where they are now. And it's, it's just being repeated again today uh, in the evangelical churches, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, when we move away from scripture and our understanding um, becomes something that uh, is, well, we bring our own cultural baggage to that understanding. And then we bring our own 
imposition upon scripture. And uh, we, yeah. we see this a lot, right? And I love what you said, what Spurgeon said there. That's so true because that's the danger ground, right? When we, yes. when we, we aren't able to discern between that and, and that's so true. And I think that we can go down a pathway once we make those little tweaks, um, not mm. discerning correctly, um, and we can turn around and not understand how we got here or where we are even. And yeah. it's far from where we need to be. <laughs> yes. One of the things that is interesting is that I love that is you're talking about the desires and being right would be, or, or being almost right could be yeah. that your identity is in Christ, but, but it's, but I still have these desires I and mean, I live with these desires and I lust after maybe men, same sex attraction if you're man or, or lust after men or women, whatever, if we're whatever gender we are. And so almost right would be my identity is in Christ, but I still have these desires that I lust after. Yeah. Right is my desires and my identity are in Christ. Can you speak that's to right. that a little bit? Oh yeah, so much so. Yeah, it's and and that's yeah, almost right is like okay, I'm I'm not going to act on it. That's almost right. But then, am I going to allow uh, my justification and sanctification to completely transform my whole person, um, where it's not just my actions, but also my mind and my heart. Um, while also realizing the reality of this tension that we have between our, uh, you know, you know, being sanctified, being sanctified, uh, and then being fully sanctified. I mean, this is, you know, when we're fully in glory with God, that's when it will be completely sanctified, but we're, mm -hmm. we're in this here and not yet issue where we're still living in the flesh. But yes, it's it's understanding that. So therefore, we should not be clinging to our old creature. You know, the old is gone, the new has come. We are new creations. Why then would we cling to our old creation? Why would we identify with the first Adam when Paul is calling us to identify with the second Adam, which is Christ, who is Christ? So that's so important. That has enormous implications because um, oftentimes, you know, people are like, well, aren't you just quibbling over words? You say tomato, I say tomato. You know, so this person says gay and I don't. I say same-sex attracted. Um, and, and I realize words matter mm. because if we say this is who I am, that's going to impact the choices I make, the, uh, the thoughts that I, uh, the, the thoughts that I have, the choices that I make and the relationships that I build. Mm. So everything, actually my thoughts, actions, and relationships are shaped in large part by how we all answer this question, who am I? So sanctification about, you know, is, and coming to Christ is identifying with Christ. And, and I know the word identify identity is a newer word, but it's not an, a new concept. It's, it's, it's simply, uh, you know, it's, it's finding, you know, it's being in Christ and, you know, it's, it's, you know, indwelling with, with, with Christ. So that, that whole concept is what theologians have been talking about since, since Christ came. Uh, so that's, that's huge. Union with Christ is identity with Christ. I love it. I love it. I love what you're sharing. I'm curious, what was your process personally like in, in dealing with these desires? Because a lot of, 
um, the same sex attracted people that we work with, they're like, I think I'll have these desires the rest of my life. Right. And, it, and it is what yeah. it is, right? So what, what was your process? And even where are you at now? Well, fortunately, I mean, uh, it, there was a sense where, because uh, I know when I hear different stories of people, uh, people come in with different baggage. Uh, and And sometimes we need to sift through our baggage and unlearn some of our um, uh, teaching that is a little distorted. It, and it could be even from the church. Uh, I would say 10 plus years ago, the main approach was sort of this, you need to go from gay to straight and you become mm -hmm. heterosexual. And that was kind of the framework that I sort of grew up in, even though I wasn't raised in the church, but I, re I heard that, you know, I, I was an unchristian not, I was an atheist or agnostic, or I didn't even know what I was. I was just not Christian. <laughs> and I, I just heard of this, you know, you got to turn straight. Um, and, and, and I basically, it was just me and my cell and this book, not exactly this book, but the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it was, you know, the, the Gideon's New Testament, amazing. Um, and, and actually at that time, I find, was able to find a whole, a whole Bible because they have, the Gideons also have just New Testaments that they pass out there, the right, small right. ones. Um, but I, it was just, I was just reading the word of God and I thought, okay, wait, how can heterosexuality be the goal? Because I can still be sinning as a, as a right. man who has heterosexual feelings. And if I could just add in here, um, the term heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, gay, straight, bi should really not define people. Mm -hmm. They should define our attractions mm -hmm. or our behaviors or our relationships because an attraction is not a person. Mm -hmm. A behavior is not a person. Even a relationship is not a person. So we need to distinguish the difference between experience and essence. Um, so I, you know, was thought, do I need to turn, you know, become, you know, just totally just shift and just have opposite sexual attractions? Is that the way, only way that God would, you know, accept me? And, and I, I needed to just, I was consuming the Bible. And so I was thinking in biblical categories, not these secular Freudian categories. And I realized, Holiness. God is, first of all, calling us to Christ because you can't be holy apart from Christ because it's only it's his holiness that, that we are now taking on um, or he has taken given to us uh, by grace through faith. So it was that's that sanctification, Christ's holiness, and then progressive sanctification is the goal of the Christian who has now been justified, that had now has been converted um, and, uh, so I, I, it was uh, first two things that was so important for me to have this big paradigm shift. One, my identity is not in my sexuality. That, that, that's so key because if you don't do that, you can't hate your sin without hating yourself. Right. A lot. And, and as you guys probably know, is, is working with people, men and women, um, there's probably a lot of self-loathing. And I yeah. think it's not then we need to love people more. No. The key is separate your sin from who you are. Mm -hmm. We must hate our sin, not just hate our sin. <laughs> we are called to put it to death. So if you're talking about self-loathing and you're calling that you're, you're maybe not even putting it to death yet because you're supposed to not self-loathe. You're supposed to 
be crucified with Christ. <laughs> uh, so the problem to people who are self-loathing is not more love. It is them having a theological framework, a gospel-centered framework to think of who we are as human beings. The world is conflating your sin with who you are. God is saying, hate your sin and love God. <laughs> um, no. And, and by doing that, uh, we're, we're able to, and what's so interesting, I mean, we always get this, you know, I hear people say, love God, love others, love yourself. And I'm like, ah. and they get that from like the, uh, the greatest and second commandment. I was like, well, yeah. love God and love yourself. Yes. But love others as yourself is not telling you to love yourself. The reality is we all love ourselves too much. Um, and that's why we need to love God most then we love others and through that that's that's the most healthiest thing that's when we're going to balance things off but i needed to be able to put my identity in christ that was the first thing the second thing is i needed to see what is the right goal it is not heterosexuality it is not even getting married marriage is a beautiful thing i am open to marriage i'm a single man 52 years old i'm still open to whatever god has for me um and so i'm open to getting biblically married uh, you know, because Canada and the U.S. now we have the, the okay. government has distorted right. the, the definition of marriage. Um, so I'm open to that, but that's not my ultimate goal because Jesus in Matthew 22 even says that there is no marriage in heaven. Mm -hmm. And that's because all earthly marriages between humans, husband and wife, really are a mystery. It points to the ultimate reality of Christ and his bride, which is the church, mm -hmm. which will be actualized in the end time. So when that is actualized, there's no more need for the shadow as John Piper mm -hmm. talks about. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think I need to realize that my goal is not heterosexuality, not necessarily even marriage. I'm open to that, but it's holiness. Right. So th that's where kind of then as I was working through this, I was like, God's just calling us to two things. If, if two paths, if you happen to be single, which we all start out as single, um, then be chaste. And if you later marry, and many, most marry, um, then be faithful to your spouse of the opposite sex. So I thought th there was not a term for that. Th there was not one term that says this is God's standard that was precise and accurate and wasn't confusing. Heterosexuality says nothing about how men, who are, uh, men and women who are not married shall, should live. Holy sexuality, chastity and singleness, or faithfulness in marriage, it communicates very, very clear how we all ought to live. Cool. And um, and so the term is new, but the concepts definitely are not. It's just coming out of the pages of scripture. And so that was really foundational for me to recognize that. And when I did, I realized when sanctification is the goal, I realized that it's about progressive sanctification. Every day I need to sanctify myself, which means I'm going to be tempted with something every day mm -hmm. it might be same-sex temptations but in many cases it's other things you know when people ask am i still tempted you know you know do you still have same-sex attractions and i said well let's broaden that question out because actually it's not really so much are you just tempted with this one thing it's are you tempted because you know when people sometimes even say you know uh, i've even heard uh, you know uh, because I, I don't kind of keep promoting heterosexuality as the goal which is really a freudian framework you know like oh you know you know 
you don't believe in transformation. Absolutely not. I do because there is no transformation apart from repentance. There's no repentance apart from transformation. Repentance is in Hebrew, shuv, which means mm-hmm. to turn, um, turn from sin and turn to God, turn to Christ, turn to holiness. Uh, but there's always going to be the struggle because we're struggling with the flesh, as Paul talks about so well in Romans, even Galatians and, uh, and Colossians. And so we have this continuous uh, struggle because of the fall, because of original sin, and that we will be tempted. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way, which, you know, if Jesus was tempted, we're definitely going to be tempted as well. Uh, so um, the focus is not even so much, you know, am I tempted do I still have same such attractions? The reality is I'm now a follower of Christ. I have the Holy Spirit abiding in me. I have the power uh, that is of God, the Holy Spirit abiding in me and dwelling in me to make me free from the bondage of sin and temptations. Praise the Lord. And yes, I will be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. So I need to be vigilant. So this journey... And this is important as well, I think, for your listeners, because we often get um, this perception that individuals like myself, and maybe you're listening right now and, and you're in my shoes where, you know, maybe you lived as a gay man for years, or maybe you didn't, but you have same-sex attractions and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I, I have it so hard. And and people even look at us and treat us as like, oh my goodness, you have a, a bigger cross to bear. I get that. People, people even tell me man, you know, Christopher, you have a bigger cross to bear. I don't. Mm -hmm. Jesus says in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if anyone Mm -hmm. would come after me. And, and I tell people that word in Greek, anyone, you know what that word, that means? Anyone. Anyone. (laughs) Anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. If anyone would come after me, he or she must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, Gospel Luke adds, and follow me. Following Jesus should cost us everything. If it hasn't, we're following the wrong Jesus. Mm. So it's really about self, uh, you know, self denial every day, you know, denying yourself. Paul, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Never in the history ever of people that have been crucified was someone, you know, just partially living or didn't die. You're crucified and you die. Mm-hmm. I've been crucified with Christ. Even Paul says, and I no longer live. It doesn't say I'm still kind of hanging on. I'm still mm-hmm. sort of living. <laughs> mm-hmm. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Thus, it is this saying no to self actually means saying yes to Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's saying no means saying yes. Isn't that incredible? And that's the beauty. We need to remind ourselves this because the enemy wants just to focus on the no, 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 no. And woe is you. It's so hard and you can't do it and all this. And we need to drown that voice out by Mm-hmm. saturating it, our mind with the word of God and actually saying, telling those voices, you know, telling Satan, get behind me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the shame and guilt. This is a, a quote from Erwin um, Lutzer. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Actually, he's a Canadian. 
um, Erwin Lutzer, I think from Western Canada. Uh, but yeah, yeah. He's, our, he's our neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Right down the street. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. When I asked, oh, you, yeah, I was just in Manitoba. You're like, oh, yeah, that's 12 hours away. <laughs> yeah. But Erwin Lutzer, he's, he's a Canadian, uh, but he's uh, the well known um, pastor emeritus of Moody Memorial Church, a historic, gorgeous church in Chicago that's kind of sister. Um, kind of ministries with the Moody Bible Institute where I went to school and taught. Um, but he wrote a book and I'm forgetting the name, but it was on shame and guilt. And he said, and I might be uh, not getting the quote exactly right, but basically he was saying guilt is actually not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, being convicted is not a bad thing, but we know need to know the difference. Mm-hmm. God convicts us of things we have not dealt with that we need to Go and confess to God, confess to our brothers and sisters, um, and and we need to repent of those things. That that's good conviction. That's good type of guilt. However, the enemy, Satan, convicts us of those things that we have not that we have already dealt with. We've already um, taken it to God. We've already confessed it to God. God has already forgiven us. The enemy then is trying to reconvict you and to then, you know, put these lies into your mind. You're too far gone. God, God will never forgive you. Right. And, um, and we need to know the difference. When you're feeling convicted in shame and guilt, we need to ask ourselves, have I already repented of this? Have I already taken this to God? Um, this is my, my past. If so, get behind me, Satan. If not, if you have not confessed this, if you have not uh, repented, then repent mm-hmm. and, and count that a joy that the Holy Spirit is abiding in you to convict you, to lead you to repentance. Um, so that's a really important thing. Uh, but just, yeah, in my own journey, things that have really encouraged me and, and helped me along. I love it. Thank you, Dr. Christopher, so much. Your story is powerful and the message that you're sharing um, is just timely. But I think that it's something that for our listeners and us and and anyone who um, is uh, in the place of um, just trying to walk with Jesus. I mean, this is a message for all of us, right? Like we need to connect Jesus and follow him and you know, it's, it's just so important. I mean, cause uh, we have seen things and probably a, a light that's been painted by our culture and our world and by the enemy often. And we need to deconstruct those things and see clearly what God has actually said through his word. And um, that's powerful. So thank you so much for this. Uh, Where can we find you? Yeah. So I have a website uh, for my speaking uh, ministry in my books. It's just ChristopherYuan.com. Um, but then I have a separate website that's for the video series, which is just holysexuality.com. And you could go there. Uh, it, it just came out, you know, um, uh, in just the end of June, uh, beginning of July. So, you know, people are just getting, and please, if you're listening, if this is something that you think is helpful for you, if, the, if you're a grandparent, you've got grandkids, you want to go through this. Um, uh, if you know others, please help spread the word. Uh, we're doing this on our own, uh, but it's a multi-million dollar, or I mean, it's a half a million dollar project. Um, but we, we've had some donors that, this was supposed to cost $200 a license, uh, but we have some very generous donors where um, they're just, they're covering 90% of it. So actually it's just wow. $20. And, 
And um, so it's we're, we're excited about it. There's animation with it, you know, that people with the Bible Project were part of, um, or the, the animators that created videos for the Bible Project were part of our 30 team of 32 people, uh, 36 people. But yeah, go to holistictuality.com where you can find more information on that uh, video resource. $20 and some great learning can literally That's change incredible. a life yeah. and save a life from all of this destruction. Amen. And That's right. Thank you for doing that. It's such a powerful thing. This episode is powerful, but especially, um, it, well, not especially, but even more so, it'll be powerful going through the Holy Sexuality Project. So if you're listening, uh, we, we are all for it and we encourage you to do that. So Dr. Christopher, thank you so much again. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.